It is Wednesday, August 25th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us tonight is a special guest. He is a content creator for NBC Sports Edge. He is a part of the Of A Good Football Show over there. The Good Football Show, really, as far as I know. He is a competitor in the Draft Sharks Invitational, and he is at NotJDaigle on Twitter. But he is, in fact, John Daigle. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, John. Thanks for having me. The DS Invitational actually came just like 72 hours after I had pulled the eight wide receivers in a row with you in the room, Matt. Uh, And it was a different strategy for sure. If anything, I, again, what other people perceive as overdrafting Lance and the Invitational. So we'll see how it all pans out. But it's always interesting because, again, and I preach this on a the good football show, whoever you want to call it, um, just to be pragmatic always. And both of those rooms allowed me different strategies. And I just go with the room. I literally just take what the room gives me. And if that ends up being last, it's fine. But I always prefer to zag when everyone else zigs. And that's just the way I'll keep drafting. It's so refreshing to hear someone, you know, not like I'm, I'm going zero running back no matter what. I'm, yeah. I'm going to. And, go and I support I support all of it. But uh, yeah. to tell someone to go into the draft and do it, that's just wrong, in my opinion. Um, just literally be pragmatic, be able to change. I always say it on the on the podcast, but if you can memorize Anchorman movie quotes, you can remember four draft strategies. It's really not that hard. So literally go into every draft knowing that if these players go or if this position goes, you're going to pivot to this. It's that simple. Yeah. If you can wow your kids with recalling song lyrics from five different genres, then you can draft different ways for a different draft room. We, we were talking about golf before we got on the show behind the curtains. And I will say it's kind of like – If you have in your mind, you like, you know, you step back, you envision your shot, um, but you also have to sell yourself that shot. You have to literally be committed to that shot. Otherwise, you probably will screw it up to begin with if you don't truly believe in it. Like, let's say I do something. We'll talk about all these players, but I don't believe in Antonio Gibson as a running back at the end of the first round, the first, second round turn, right? I still think that's a little too greedy to grab him. Like, you're just, you're hoping. And uh, I prefer not to have hope in my draft strategy. I prefer evidence where I can add it anyways. But... Uh, if I am hoping and I take him there, then I need to believe in that too. So even if I don't actually believe in it, I try to sell myself that I believe in it, if that makes any sense. And I'm like, okay, I drafted Gibson early, and thus I have to believe that he's getting the third down roll, and thus will be a top seven, top five back. What do I do next? And that's how I draft. Even if I, I think I'm wrong, you have to convince yourself because you already made the pick that you're right, and then make your team as if your predictions are right. Yeah, we've talked. I, I feel like we've talked about that concept quite a bit this offseason. Just drafting, assuming you're right. That's how you win. You know, if you if you're hedging throughout your draft, it, it's a good way to come in third place or fourth place. But you're trying to win your league, like you said, John. You have to assume that you know Gibson picking the first round hits, and then you know build the rest of your team assuming that. It's it's best ball. Um, like best ball season has made us smarter, but has also ruined us because uh, now we don't know how to react properly. Like I I feel like a donkey grabbing Dak in the third or fourth round. Whenever nowadays I could have just grabbed him mid sixth and been just fine with it because I'm not worried about the injury personally, uh, and I'm just taking the dip everywhere. Same for Jamar Chase. I'm taking the dip everywhere, and I wouldn't have drafted him earlier. And 
known that perhaps I was wrong. Maybe T Higgins is a better player. And if not, maybe still outperforms chase this year. If I had known I could have got chase behind Higgins later on. And that's what three puppies have done to us. That's what best ball season has done to us. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a combination of everything. And I'll just try to jot that note down for next year to remind myself that there's no need to reach because we're going to have an opportunity to draft everyone at cost. (laughs) I feel like the biggest issue for me on that front too is uh, thinking you, you spend so much time thinking of players in terms of shares. I want to get some exposure to him. I want to get some exposure there. And then you get to this season where it's like, you got to treat each draft as its own individual draft. And sometimes it's a little tough to say, okay, I definitely like this guy better. If you're choosing between these two guys, you're going to want to lean this way as opposed to, well, I get 70% of this guy and 30% of this guy. Yeah. So I think we need to, I think we need to work uh, golf metaphors into this entire podcast. So just to, just to piss Matt off. <laughs> I could I could stay doing this all day long. <laughs> I thought John was going toward like a Caddyshack two um, experience there, where he was hitting Antonio Gibson from way back, and then just na 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 while it was winding its way to the hole. And I mean, I think that if you're applying a Caddyshack two, maybe that's maybe that's the wrong draft strategy. The thing about Gibson, and again, we're probably going to talk about him shortly. Maybe this is a segue for you, Matt. But uh, think about. What makes Gibson so frustrating is that even though I don't believe he'll get that role, he is the player that if he gets that role, he'll end your fantasy year. Uh, If you don't have him, like you have to have him. And so in best ball, you talk about exposures. He's someone you literally have to force exposure on because I do think he's going too early, but I have to force it now because I don't want to be left behind because if he gets that role, he's ending me if I don't have any. Like that's just the type of player he is. That's the type of archetype he is. He has the traits to both a pass catcher, obviously what he did at Memphis. And he already led Washington and carries last year, even though he didn't do that at Memphis. And so like, we've seen it all. And if it all comes together this year, even though I have my doubts, uh, I'm going to be left behind and not going to win anything. So I'm literally forcing exposure now, even though I don't want to. See, now I can hear you talking yourself into it. Now you're just hoping the gopher did not put the exploding ball right next to the hole. (laughs) So we had Dwayne McFarlane on last week. We talked about the impact of the first round of the preseason. Now we have a second full slate of games behind us. We're going to reflect on that. But in the past couple of days, we've had some big backfield news and some things that have shaken up not only those backfields, but fantasy drafting in general. So, Jared, let's start with the trade that was announced this morning. I know that you took food out of your infant daughter's mouth (laughs) just so that you could get the news out to DraftShark subscribers. So why don't you set up this situation for us? Yeah, I'm glad Schefter tweeted at like 7 a.m. and not 11 p.m. You know, nowadays I'm up by 6 a.m., but I try to be in bed by 10 p.m. So it's good timing there. Yeah, so I, I wanted to kind of run through the, the Daryl Henderson story with the Rams and just kind of recap what's happened with him with that franchise. So, you know, the, the Rams took him with the 70th overall pick in 2019. So that, that's that's nice draft capital. He gets 39 carries as a rookie, despite Todd Gurley just you know being completely ineffective that season, 3.8 yards per carry for Gurley. Henderson still couldn't get on the field. The, the next offseason, the Rams spend the 52nd overall pick of the draft on Cam Akers. Henderson's basically a nothing early last season. He played five snaps in last year's season opener. Then Cam Akers gets hurt. Then Daryl Henderson still plays behind Malcolm Brown for the next three weeks, weeks two, three, and four. He played fewer snaps than Malcolm Brown. Then Henderson finally you know, gets a decent role, has a few okay fantasy games. Then he's phased out again down the stretch, you know, and, and Cam Akers took over. Get to this offseason, Cam Akers gets hurt. A month later, the Rams make this trade for Sony Michelle. And, I mean, a fourth-round pick, which is what, you know, what it sounds like it's going to end up being, you know, it's, it's conditional, but it's going to be a fourth-round pick. That, that's, you know, not nothing 
for a trade for a running back in, in today's NFL. So I look at this, this situation as a whole. I think the Rams just don't believe in Daryl Henderson. So I, I think Sonny Michelle is going to come in, play a big role right out of the gate. And then I think it's possible by, you know, October that Sonny Michelle is the lead back for the Rams. Yeah. I don't know about lead back. I still think they split touches. I do think it's interesting though, that we know the Patriots use their backs and specific roles. And so I think Sonny Michelle is actually a viable third down guy, something they haven't used Henderson in the past. These Malcolm Brown that way, whenever Henderson was rolling um, before he got that high ankle sprain last year, they used Cam Akers that way whenever he came back from his ankle sprain. And so it is interesting that they clearly don't believe in him. Um, the injury thing, the injury bug is something even McFay has mentioned so many times this preseason. Uh, Henderson hasn't been available for all of the training camp practices. And he said it's precautionary because like he's been injured his first two years. Thus, they don't believe in him. But the fact that Sonny Michelle actually was a viable receiver in college, and we know the Patriots already had James White. Thus, they are going to cap what Shoney Michelle does. Like they, they're just going to use him on early downs. Same for which is why I also think Damian Harris's three down role is blown way out of proportion. That doesn't mean he can't score ten touchdowns. He literally has that much upside if Mac Jones starts more games than Cam Newton, thus taking Newton off the field in a goal line bruising role. But we know how they use their backs. So if like Sonny Michelle's unlocked in a way that he was in college, it does make it really interesting because a la. Gio Bernard, suddenly there's a guy who is entrenched into one role and all he has to do is sprinkle in, if not win the other role. Whereas Henderson, we know if he doesn't open with that pass catching role, won't win it either. And so it makes him definitely a viable pick for redraft, especially if you're playing the zero RB game, but I'm not completely out on Henderson. I don't want to go as far as you, Jared, and not to say you're wrong. uh, I really don't know to say that Henderson now is like the one B back. But I, I still want to be on a Henderson at some point because he still has shown that he's extremely talented when healthy. Again, it comes down to when he's healthy. I don't know what to do here, honestly. I l- was a big fan of Daryl Henderson as a prospect. So I, I, I loved the upside at that point. And I thought when Todd Gurley was gone, here we go. Then Cam Akers came in. Everything that Jared just mentioned, we haven't seen much of Daryl Henderson since then. And now that we get the Sony Michelle trade, I mean, I think we were all expecting something to be added this offseason. So the Sony Michelle move shouldn't be that surprising, but it comes right after the thumb injury for Daryl Henderson. So now he's off the field again, and we're not even going to get to, I don't know, read the reports of what the share would be like, even if it's just in practice over the next couple of weeks. I I don't know. The, the I don't know is the toughest for me because I have no idea how the Rams actually feel about Daryl Henderson. If we look at their actions, I can absolutely agree with the idea. It doesn't look like they really believe in him. Maybe he's still the best back there. I mean, we don't really know what they think about Sonny Michel yet, and we think that he can probably do more receiving than what the Patriots let him do, but we don't know what the Rams think about that. So uh, the the I don't know makes me scared before I know where these guys are going to go in the draft. I, I agree with John. I don't want to be out on Daryl Henderson because I think he's a very good player, and I think this is an offense where we're going to want the running backs. But if he's not getting out of round, I guess, five, at this point, it's going to be tough to be in. John, where do you think that you're taking the leap on Daryl Henderson right now? I pushed him down in my rankings earlier um, behind James Robinson after after what we'll talk about here in a bit, the Jaguars backfield news. I have him behind Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds now. So he's pretty much jammed in between 
RB 25 through 30. And again, I don't know if that's me giving up on him so much as so I just hate every other running back besides Mm -hmm. that. So like then you have to get to the 40 range and that's when we start talking about the guys we've liked all best ball season, like Naeem Hines, James White, Gio Bernard, guys we know have singular roles, but also aren't going to get what I perceive to be 12 to 15 touches like Henderson. Previously, I would have said 15 to 18 touches. So I'm not out just yet, but, uh, but yeah, I, I genuinely don't, I don't have a strong opinion either way. I don't know if this makes me draft Michelle. That's the thing. Uh, Jared, how do you feel about that? Yes, yeah, so I'm just looking at where you know where our updated rankings came in. We have Henderson at running back 24 in PPR, okay. which to me that 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 feels too high. Like I want him lower, but then I look at the rankings and like he's just ahead of Kareem Hunt and Miles Gaskin, which I mean I I can't say I'd take Hunt and Gaskin over Edmonds straight up right now. He he is John, like you mentioned, he's right behind Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds for us. Yeah, I would I'd take those two guys right now over Henderson. So to me, that makes Henderson like a, a sixth, seventh round pick. Michelle for me is in that like eight nine round range like he's in those guys in with those types like jamal williams james connor who are you know probably going to start on like the you know the the one b side of a committee but i think you know those guys have the potential to earn more and i guess connor especially but you know among those guys i think michelle has the highest upside i mean this is a backfield we want pieces of it you know it's been productive throughout mcveigh's time there really besides that 2019 season when Gurley was just washed up so i'm still going to be wanting to take shots on these guys, I did an underdog underdog draft this afternoon. Henderson still went at like four eleven, and Michelle went at like seven twelve. So th- those spots were both a little higher than I was willing to pay on on either of those guys. It may be biased too that I need to put aside just the fact that drafting Sonny Michelle in a redraft, like it's never ever worked out or been fruitful. So uh, maybe I need to put that behind me. I will say the Rams do have the league's easiest projected rushing schedule, which is why I was all in on Cam Akers previously. And uh, as we got closer to week one, which is why I was always all in on Daryl Henderson. And that, that obviously they added someone now with conditional picks, which we know the Patriots absolutely love. They, they've just fondled over uh, uh, conditional picks. And so, yeah, it, it definitely makes me back off Henderson a little bit. I wish I had a stronger opinion for you on Michelle, but right now it's just someone that I need to wrap my head around which round he should be going in because I can't, I really don't know which range I would draft him in. To me, Michelle and James Conner look extremely similar. I mean, we'll see whether he has that prominent role, but it looks very similar. They look like the same player. They both can run hard. They both can catch passes. Both of them, we need to see exactly what their role looks like. And both of them are in offenses where we probably want to have some running back exposure. So, I don't know. I think as long as Sony Michelle's in the range where I'm looking at James Conner, that's where I'll take him. If he goes ahead of that, then I, I'll just let somebody else do that, and I'll take the running backs that are sliding, such as Jamal Williams. Yeah, yeah Mich- Michelle last year – too. I mean, he, he was effective. It was limited work. I think it was like 79 carries, but he averaged 5.7 yards per carry. He finished just behind Henderson in PFF rushing grade. He was just ahead of Henderson in PFF's elusive rating. So, I mean, he, this guy was a first round pick like what th- three or four years ago. I know he's had injury issues. Yeah. But you know, he's still like 25, 26 years old. Like, I, I think, I think Michelle has plenty to offer still. I had told uh, Zacharyson this on Twitter earlier too that Sonny Michelle actually has looked good last year. We're just going by film takes and this preseason. Um, he's been overshadowed because everyone's been so enamored with all the first round touches, Damon, or the first team touches that Damon Harris has received, not to mention all the touchdowns against four stringers that Ramondre Stevenson has scored. But 
Sonny Michelle actually has performed really well like the past calendar year. And so that's what makes me a little more excited to draft him in those later rounds. Also for Stevenson, this means he's already being drafted in our best ball, honestly. But this means he's one of those guys, if you're drafting this weekend, you can take. And then we'll see what happens. Maybe you cut him before week one, since most leagues run waivers before week one. But that's the kind of guy I try to take. Same as like J.D. McKissick or someone who I, I think has a role. But also, if the injury happens ahead of them, suddenly you hit the jackpot. Because you drafted early and you had stashed them, preparing to cut them anyhow. So those are the type of players I like to add in my like rounds 15 through 18 at the end of my roster. Now, what about J.J. Taylor versus Ramondre Stevenson back in New England? So we know that Stevenson doesn't have the same role. But the, the issue is for J.J. Taylor, as good as he's looked, he just reminds me of another guy that the Patriots always run out in the preseason because they have no one else to lean on, um, a la B.W. Webb, if you recall that name, like a preseason uh, superstar. Wait on, was it B.W. Webb? Is that a basketball player? He's a, he's a cornerback. Yeah, He's a cornerback. No, okay. Uh, I'm going to have to look this up a second. There was a running back with similar initials that they used three years ago, I believe three or four years ago. And he had the same skill set as JJ Taylor. All they did was throw him out there for every single touch because like they don't use the guys that matter in the preseason. It's the way Bill Belichick has always run his team. So I, I still, even with the fumble uh, with Stevenson, like I still wonder if he actually has a role over anyone uh, and same for JJ Taylor. Like I don't, I have no idea if he's going to be active on game days because Brandon Bolden is still on the roster, correct? Correct. Yep. Yes, uh, that's what I thought. And Brandon Bolden, we know, is going to be active because he's like a special teams ace, and like he plays that same role as well. So I, I just really don't. I don't think I count for Taylor much, honestly. I heard one of the Patriots beat writers compare Taylor to Deion Lewis, you know, a guy who is going to contribute more in the passing game, but he's not like James White where he's like just passing game. Right. Um, now I think it was, uh, is it Jeff Howe of the athletic? That's the Patriots guy. He, you know, he, mm. he kind of wrote in their reaction piece to the Michelle trade that, you know, he thought Taylor might be ahead of Stevenson, Stevenson still. Um, but then I, you know, I've read practice reports from today and Stevenson was kind of second in line for carries behind Damian Harris. So I, I do think Stevenson's going to be, you know, the number two big back in New England. Mm -hmm. But fantasy-wise, I think he's still just a handcuff. I, I don't think he's going to have standalone value as long as Damian Harris is healthy. But I, I think he's a pretty high-end handcuff. Like, he's not in the Tony Pollard, Alex Madison tier of handcuffs, but he's probably, like, in the next tier beneath that. So he's he's someone I would definitely be willing to take, you know, in the double-digit rounds as a stash. He makes much more sense as the Rex Burkhead role than J.J. Taylor does. Yes, yeah, Stevenson, Stevenson makes more sense than Taylor in that role. I think so. Yeah, and the Rex he Burkhead. He's a pass catcher, right? In college, Stevenson. Yeah, but it's more or less that Brooks Burkhead did everything. Like Garrett Burkhead right. was even the goal line pass catching back uh, at times. Uh, in my opinion, I think he fits that role better than Taylor. Was it BJ Catalan? By the way, is that the running back? No, uh, I don't know who that is. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to dig into preseason game logs. Let me. I'll do right. that while we're while we're talking. All right, we'll look forward to finding out the answer on that. By the way, uh, don't, don't back, look forward to it. He also played for the Steelers. He's just he wasn't a good running back. I just remember using him in DFS because like he literally got 20 touches. He was so he was so good that nobody can remember his name. Um, <laughs> by the way, I did see that our pal Mike Clay gave Sony Michelle the edge in carries and rushing yards and basically had him even with Daryl Henderson <laughs> in receiving projection in, you know, those instant Mike Clay projections after that trade. I think Clay had to do that after his uh, colleague Adam Schefter, you know, went on serious today and said he, he thinks, you know, Michelle's probably the lead back there. <laughs> so let's switch over to the Jaguars backfield, which also had the big shakeup before the trade. It was Travis Etienne going down for the season, had that dreaded Liz Frank injuries headed for uh, surgery. He's already been placed on IR, so he's definitely done for the season. 
Jared, obviously that shook up our rankings. James Robinson is way up for us as he is for everybody at this point. Yeah, he is. And hopefully he's in a role similar to what he played last year. I don't think Carlos Hyde has much left in the tank, but you know, as we said, multiple, multiple times on this podcast about ETN. My concern is just that coaching staff. And if they're going to make the right decisions and we know Carlos Hyde has the history with Urban Myers. That's my concern with Robinson is just that we're going to see too much Carlos Hyde. But if he gets anything close to the workload that, you know, he got last year, I'm talking James Robinson now, um, you know, in what should be a much better offense, you know, the O-line returns all five starters. They got a few young guys there. That unit could take a step forward. So, I mean, there's running back one upside here if the, Jack's coaching staff does the right thing. And that's the question we're really asking, right? Are they going to do the right thing? Because they continue to not do the right thing. Uh, one, it was Ralph Webb, by the way, running 25 routes a game in the preseason. That's a that's a preseason DFS superstar. Also for James Robinson, recall that last year, an undrafted rookie who set records in reaching 1,300 yards from scrimmage in his first 13 games on a tanking offense with no competition behind him. Uh, also spiked five top 10 finishes, the sixth most fantasy points per game through his first nine starts. And it's similar this year because now there's only, like Jared said, Hyde, who I was listening to a recent ship chasing episode with Sean Siegel and uh, Peter Overzet, Pat Corrine, Ben Gretsch, the list goes on and on. They seem to have like eight guys like the NWO show up every single episode. <laughs> and I have no idea who's on. But uh, Siegel actually said, who, a man who doesn't do hot takes at all, he just said that like you could look at any metric in the NFL, splice it any way you can, and Carlos Hyde is always the worst running back in the league. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't tell us what the Jags donkey coaching staff is going to do, which is all like betting and fantasy comes down to. It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what they think, and we have to perceive what they think. And so there is obviously a chance they use him. But – just in being Hyde and Dario Gumbawale, who has never really carved out a hard role anywhere throughout his career, I think there is a terrific chance for James Robinson to finish as a top 20 back. Uh, the thing is, he's probably going to go earlier than that because the reason we will always have jobs, us three, and everyone else in the industry is because everyone drafts last year's stats. So as long as everyone keeps drafting last year's stats, like we will always have something to talk about. And everyone remembers that James Robinson won them money. And they'll they'll probably just flock right back to him, even though it's a totally different staff. It's a totally different perception that we should have on him. The fact that they added another running back in the first round tells us that they weren't happy with what they got from James Robinson last year. Uh, they don't view him as someone that matters. So I just really worry. Having said that, I like I said, I did the upgrade earlier today and in my rankings, I jammed him still behind Chris Carson and DeAndre Swift. And I'm aware of Swift's injury. I don't care, but still ahead of J.K. Dobbins and Mike Davis and Chase Edmonds. So in between that range, and it's the same tier. So I like tiers because that means that if you're in your home draft, you can nitpick between them, whatever. They're all the same guy to me. So I just have him ranked in between there. Does that mean you would take James Robinson anywhere at the end of round three, or does it have to be round four? It'd probably be round four or five for me. And now he is someone, though, previously it was Daryl Henderson. Now it's James Robinson and Chase Edmonds, who if I go like, Zero RB. I start a, a tight end at the end of the first round plus three wide receivers. I will like avert. I will budge for certain players. And James Rom says now someone I will budge for and just mm-hmm. say, this is my RB one. I'll stack to him and add an RB two, like from rounds nine through whatever, and just see if I can find somebody. But other than that, he is someone like if you wait and you get him at value, I am confident in him as an RB one. It's just a matter. It has to fall to you too. I don't want to force the issue with him. Mm-hmm. 
I, I am right with you, Daigle. I have Robinson in that tier with DeAndre Swift and Chris Carson behind like the, the top, the clear top 14 guys, which, you know, kind of ends at like Gibson, Clyde Edwards, Clyde Edwards, Alaire. Um, I, you know, I have Robinson Swift and Carson ahead of uh, JK Dobbins. So to me, Robinson now joins Carson and Swift as, you know, now the three running backs I'll consider like in the late third or anywhere in the fourth round outside of those three guys, I'm really not looking at the running backs in round four, or even in round five for, for the most part. I think it's Carson for me pretty easily in there. I think he has, I think he's a better bet when he's on the field than those other guys. And then James Robinson's close, but I'm probably going to behind Chris Carson. I'm probably looking wide receiver rather than taking a shot on any of those running backs, just waiting to see what's, what's available next time. And that's why it comes down to value. Like if T Higgins or Chase Claypool are there, honestly, in most builds, if you're trying to win the flex, it makes sense just to grab Odell Beckham even. It just makes sense to grab one of those guys rather than uh, taking a running back and then questioning his role. That's why, like, you know, the, the zero RB thing, as much as it's hated, it just makes a lot of sense because then you don't have to worry about these roles. The issue is that running backs also have much higher ceilings. They win your leagues as opposed to wide receivers don't typically win your leagues. And so that's why we chase the, as Pat Crane has dubbed it, the legendary running back. Uh, James Robinson probably isn't a legendary running back, but if you already have three strong receivers, you start two receivers, let's say in your home league, and you need your RB1, that's why I don't mind just hoping for the best and then averting and taking him in there. Plus, maybe if he has another season like he did last year, maybe he's Arian Foster and he is a legendary running back. He is good. Like he's literally a talented player. And no. so, like you can also use the uh, just to say, like, "Hey, I'm betting on talent," and I'll back off and be like, "Okay, I totally get that. That makes sense." Yeah, I took him at four four in that underdog draft I, I did this afternoon that I mentioned I, as my RB two. So, I gotta admit, I was a. Uh, it's the first time it's ever worked out for me. Um, I was in a big dog slow draft this weekend and that news came down and we were in the 10th round, mid 10th. Right. And I grabbed him. And that's the first time ever I've yeah. benefited from a slow clock. I've yeah, seen so it work out got... for others. Yeah. It's, it's like Bigfoot. I've, I've seen people <laughs> photos. I've never seen it myself. And I saw it this weekend. It was great. Yeah. Someone got, someone got Sony Michelle in the 18th round of a slow FFPC draft that, that just wrapped up today. So I was, I was not happy about that. I missed him by yeah. like two picks. I happen to have uh, Trevor Lawrence and Marvin Jones too. And so it just like, it worked out. It's never going to work out like that ever again in my life. Nope. It worked out. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> well, let's move on from those uh, fluid situations. And let's talk about some of the teams, some of the players that we've now watched through two rounds of uh, preseason games and, and think about what that's doing to our drafts and what we should expect from them. Let's go to the Dolphins passing game first and to Tonga Bailoa. We talked about him specifically last week with Dwayne. So, John, how are you? How do you feel about Tua? I guess first, how did you feel about him in that passing game coming into this preseason, and has it changed at all through two games? I've always had him quite high. Uh, I've just used a simple mantra saying um, Tua has looked like a rookie who didn't who was injured and didn't receive offseason reps. Like that's what he played like last year. And go figure, that's who he was. And so I always still believed him as the number five overall pick. Um, no big deal. And now having added Waddle, Fuller to go along with Devontae Parker, uh, I have, my confidence has never wavered in him once. I wish they were all healthy. That way we had a better perception of this first-team offense because right now it's just juggling a lot in between Will Fuller changing teams after a year in which we – Historically, it was bad to chase wide receivers who change teams. And DeAndre Hopkins to Von Diggs changed that notion. Maybe, we don't know, but maybe not because 
they changed the notion altogether, but because it's DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, like it's two, it's two of the top five wide receivers in the entire league. So when they change teams, it probably just doesn't matter. But is Will Fuller in that category too? Can he go anywhere and still be Will Fuller? I have no idea. And so that's kind of like if you draft him right now on blind stats, like that's what you're banking on. And so I really. I really don't know. I don't have confidence in either direction. Waddle and Jasicki are also interesting because Waddle was at full strength in week one, played 19 to 23 first team snaps from the slot. And that's why Mike Jasicki, I, I presume, maybe I'm writing this narrative in my head, Jared. Maybe you can correct me here. Uh, this is why Jasicki, in my mind, played 26% only of the team's first team snaps because Waddle's clogs at the slot. And Jasicki has a top two, top two slot rated position the past two years. Thus, there's someone with higher draft capital here now taking that role, which is why I haven't been drafting Jasicki at all because he's been overvalued. And then suddenly in week two, Waddles in and out of the lineup, gets banged up, and Jasicki rises to 54% of the team's first team snaps. Also, though, it was a weird game because Miles Gaskin got shoved in there for a lot of the first team snaps too, much more than what he'd played in week one. So I don't know to say none of it matters. Maybe all of it matters. It's just, it's really hard to gauge right now with Miami offense. But the fact is I'm still in on Tua because I don't need to worry about these players. Like that means I'm picking them individually. I can still pick Tua. I feel like at QB 17 or 18, I have them right there around Fitzpatrick. I understand I'm much higher than Fitzpatrick and everyone else. I don't care. And uh, I'm hoping like Tua was the one who benefits from all of this talent anyways. Yeah, I, I was cautiously optimistic about Tua all offseason. And after seeing these first two preseason games, um, yeah, I, I don't want to say I'm all in, but I'm 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 strongly buying Tua. Um, you know, 71% completion rate, 8.3 yards per attempt. He's definitely pushing the ball down the field more than we saw last year, which is nice. And he he's done that in the preseason, by the way, without Devontae Parker or, or Will Fuller, who have both been, you know, out with minor injuries. So yeah, Tua to me, like if I'm looking for a quarterback too, behind Justin Fields and Trey Lance, Tua is kind of like my my next target. And then yeah, I think I, to me all the wide receivers are pretty nice buys. I mean they all come with their their issues and most of them are durability related, but they're all cheap. Waddle and Fuller are like in the you know mid 40s as far as wide receiver ADP. Parker's like into the 50s. So I think you know getting taking shots on those guys, um, I think one or maybe multiple of them are gonna you know return a profit on their ADPs right now. I think they all look attractive for best ball. I think it's going to be a frustrating wide receiver core for a lineup setting league. I I, I got to say, I'm less interested in the whole group as we get into the regular season. And uh, I've said before, Devontae Parker is my first choice just because he's the cheapest among the three of them. But I think that they're all cheap enough that you can make an argument for any of them. John, you hit on the backfield, though. Uh, Miles Gaskin, after giving us frustrating exposure in the first week, was different last week. Uh, what are you making of that backfield right now? And are you touching it or just staying away from it? I have been taking Gaskin wherever he's falling. Because, again, remember, uh, this new era of best ball season, it means that every player, everyone overreacts to players within like two hours. And the, like every player dips or goes too high. And we can take advantage of that as long as we just keep playing. Even recreational $1, $3 best balls, you could easily take advantage of those ADPs. But – the fact that like Gaskin, like I said, was sparsely used week one. Uh, Malcolm Brown was used on every third down, every goal line carry over him. And then in week two, they came back and Gaskin was in on every, or he split third down snaps, I should say, with Savon Ahmed, and then also played all three snaps of the team's backfield, first team snaps inside the 10-yard line. I, I genuinely don't know if they were just 
trying things out after they saw Brown, but Flores seems to be intent on using two to three backs anyhow. Two is the best case scenario, in my opinion. And that doesn't make me want to draft Malcolm Brown, who has really never been useful. Like, I don't get higher on him. I get lower on Gaskin. And then when he falls to the eighth round or lower, that's when I start taking him because he's still a zero RB candidate. He's still someone, if we remove Malcolm Brown from the equation, then it's not guaranteed, but we at least know that they had confidence in Gaskin last year for a 20% target share. I know it was from Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that in 18 touches per game and the half a season he was healthy for. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping for still when I draft him at value, if he's still a value. But before the seventh round, I haven't been touching him since week one of preseason. Yeah, I mean, week two of the preseason was better for Gaskin, much better, but it still wasn't great. I mean, they still used all three backs with the first team offense. Um, Gaskin and Ahmed both ran eight pass routes with Tua, so they were splitting the passing down work. Brian Flores basically said after the first preseason game that it's going to be a committee, and he said it's going to be a three-man committee. I think Malcolm Brown might eventually get phased out because I just don't think he's very good. Like, even just watching that second preseason game, Gaskin and Ahmed looked very good to me, especially in the passing game. So I, you know, I think they're both going to be involved at minimum. Gaskin's not a guy. I'm, I'm kind of with you, John. I guess eighth round, you know, maybe seventh if, if I'm looking for a running back, I'd consider him. Ahmed's a guy I've been taking super late though these these past few drafts. Um, again, I, I just like how he looked, and you know, even if he's you know the the 35 percent guy in this backfield committee, um, I, I guess you know talking be, uh, best ball still, he could still be useful. You know, season long, he's he's probably no better than a handcuff, but um, you know, he, Ahmed's more interesting to me than uh, Malcolm Brown right now. And in redraft, he's kind of the guy you take and have confidence in, but you know you're never going to really use probably unless Brown is out of the way. But again, it doesn't have to be injury. It can just be because he's Malcolm Brown, he gets out of the way. Yeah, and I mean, I I have pointed at times to them signing him immediately in free agency, but last year they traded for Matt Breida. They signed Jordan Howard. Both of those guys busted. So it certainly doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's been more of a whoever's there late thing for me with the Dolphins backfield, but I agree with you guys if, Gaskin gets to round eight. It's tough to argue against him because if he doesn't pan out from there, he's not killing you and you're taking him ahead of guys like Zach Moss. So no big, no big loss there. And we were in the situation with uh, Jordan Howard with the Dolphins last year. Like we know like that role, that type of player, it just doesn't matter. So he's never going to provide value on your fantasy roster. Really you're drafting the players behind him in hopes that sooner rather than later, the, the person in front of them gets out of the way. And so that's, again, that's why I'm drafting Gaskin still at that range because I really assume that Brown will be out of the way sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I, you know, the best argument for taking Brown, I think, was always that he was going to get the red zone, you know, the, the goal line stuff. And as you said, John, it was Gaskin who got that in that second preseason game. So if, mm-hmm. you know, if Brown's not getting that, there's, there's kind of just no pass. And sixth, so. fifth or sixth running back in the best ball league is much different than a fifth or sixth running back in a redraft league. Like Brown mm-hmm. is literally just clogging roster from so much upside. I'd much rather have a receiver – have three or four running backs and a wide receiver that isn't playing yet that I know if an injury happens in front of him, he could explode. Then I would Brown. We'll see if the target share that Malcolm Brown got for the Rams last year is a good sign for Sonny Michelle's outlook with his new team. Sticking with the backfield theme here, Antonio Gibson, John, you kind of mentioned him earlier. What do you make of the way that they have used Antonio Gibson through two preseason games? Yeah, Gibson is He's, he's such an interesting player this year. I can't remember being so encapsulated by someone I was down on. And I think it's because I see all my sharp friends in on him. And uh, I just want to be a part of the party. I just want to <laughs> have a good time with my friends. But uh, I also trust 
my own research and just everything that I'm point that's leading me to Gibson. It's like nothing I'm excited about, especially for what everyone's willing to pay. Like I said earlier at the first, second round turn right now in the preseason alone, it's a double-edged sword because Gibson has had 11 carries and four targets on 24 first-team snaps with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but also he's only had one third-down touch compared to seven for J.D. McKissick, uh, the one being a third-and-one situation where, of course, he's the bigger back. They put him out there, and they just let him bruise his way um, to a first down. No big deal. Keep the chains moving. And so, again, maybe this isn't the case. Maybe they're uh, hiding it from us a la Tariq Cohen of last year or two years ago, his rookie year, whenever the Bears just like hit him and then threw him out there in week one and he won the Millie Maker. He's on the Millie Making roster. But right now, it doesn't seem like they have any interest in putting Gibson out there for the third round role. And as much as everyone wants to cite those touches with the first team, like Gibson still had 36 catches. Like it wasn't the fact he wasn't using the pass the game at all. It's the fact that the third down role, um, being a true pass catching back, unlocks his ceiling. And so right now, if he has this role, as perceived from the preseason, he's a guy that should be end of second round, third round, mid third round, whereas he's being drafted too early for me. And so that's where it ends with me. And since he, since uh, Austin Eckler for goal line touches, since Joe Mixon for a passing game script, all these guys have question marks in their range. That's why it's probably better, honestly, to draft a receiver over them. And so I think Gibson is actually an easy fade as, as, as crazy as it is to say in redraft leagues. Whereas where I'm trying to catch up and get my exposure is best ball leagues, just because I don't want to be left behind in the event and the unlikely event that uh, his ceiling hits. Do you think that um, Antonio Gibson is crystal meth or is he heroin and that, you know, it's a bad idea, but maybe use the right way. It can, it can, it can enhance you. I, I know you can microdose shrooms. I don't think you can microdose heroin, though. Right. I think uh, once you do it once, and I, I'm not talking from experience, but once you do it once, I'm pretty sure you're down the path. So uh, perhaps Gibson is more like shrooms, where um, you know we'll just play with it a little bit, and then um, when it hits, it's it's amazing. And it allows you to dream at least. You can you can, yeah. you can join the anti Gibson party with us. I mean, we don't we don't have heroin or meth at this party, but, but I mean, but see, that's the thing. Like, I I don't. I don't want to be anti Gibson because <laughs> he is a great player. And uh, if you could tell me he's a, you know, he's going to get that third down roll. I probably actually have him as my RB five. So I just throw him up there over Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley and all those others, Aaron Jones, even, and just be like, no, he has every role I want. Why would I be low on him? But now it's a question mark. And so I, I don't want, I don't want to hate him. I don't want to fade him. Cause like he has all the right tools. It just seems like, Man, it, it, it just reminds me of what we were doing for Joe Mixon two years ago. It's just like wish casting. And my point is, if you're going to wish cast, if you're going to hope for a role, even though like we have no idea, this year you can hope for CEH. Uh, mm-hmm. And this came before the ankle injury, of course. Right. And CEH is supposed to be ready for week one. So um, you can make this objective. Like maybe you still don't want to draft him because you're worried about the injury. That's fine. But beforehand, CEH was my and still is my highest rostered player in best ball because it's the same thing except – We've already seen CH have a pass catching role and a workhorse role last year before they signed Le'Veon Bell. So he was used that way. Not only that, but he's taken when on the field every single snap in the preseason with Patrick Mahomes. Um, even this past week before he got injured, he was on the first six snaps, including third down. He got injured, got taken off. They put on Darrell Williams. And so like what everyone's hoping for Antonio Gibson to be, it's actually happening with CH, and no one wants to pay attention. And so that's kind of where I, I'm just like, no, just take this other guy because it's happening right now. 
Yeah, well, Gibson has needed to get to the end of round two for me to be truly interested yeah. in him. Anytime before Agreed. that, it's Agreed. been a receiver or another running back. The two guys I can't take Gibson over are Najee Harris and Joe Mixon. Because I, I think th- those guys ha- those guys have the role that you want Gibson to get. Mixon and Harris are not coming off the field. You know, they're gonna be 80 plus percent snap guys. Harris is always there in the mid-second. Mixon usually gets to like the late second. So you know that that's kind of why I just haven't been able to get much Antonio Gibson. I, I have like you, John, you know, forced myself to take a few shares, but I, I'm definitely, you know, underweight on him. Um, and I'm okay with it. I'm just going to need, you know, Mixon and, and ideally Harris to outscore him this season. And it's the same as CeeDee Lamb, even though like I could, I could envision CeeDee Lamb being a top five receiver next year. So like we're drafting him over Justin Jefferson, and DK Metcalf. Like that's easily explainable actually, especially with uh, Michael Gallup as a free agent. So um, I don't mind reaching for CeeDee Lamb, but still I'm not comfortable internally with it. So I'm just having to force myself there. And those are the type of players like I really just don't like taking. Bill's backfield now, Jared. What have we seen in terms of the share between Zach Moss and Devin Singletary lately? I mean, we've seen Devin Singletary looking, I think, as good as he's ever looked at as, as a pro. PFF actually has him uh, number one in their rushing grades among 65 running backs with 10-plus uh, carries this preseason. Kind of matches what I've seen out of him. And, you know, Zach Moss didn't play in that first preseason game. He did play in the second one. Devin Singletary played all 10 snaps on Buffalo's first possession, ended up Outsnapping Zach Moss 21 to 12 with, you know, what kind of amounted to the first team offense, you know, Josh Allen didn't play. Um, it was Trubisky in there, but, um, you know, Singletary in that game looked like the clear lead back. I, the question to me is, you know, were they kind of easing Zach Moss in coming off that hamstring injury? So John, what, what are you doing with the, the bills backfield now? Who, who do you have ranked higher among Moss and Singletary? I'm still of the opinion. I cannot believe people are suggesting to draft one or the other. Uh, just just let them fall and take the second one. Like it's this doesn't have to be hard. Uh, the Bills backfield averaged the fourth fewest combined touches per game, only 21 and a half last year. And Moss and Singletary played 14 games together. And Moss merely outtouched Singletary 119 to 117 in those 14 games. Uh, Singletary actually outtargeted Moss in those games, 38 to 21. But Allen, as we know, throws deep. He doesn't check down. He had a nine yard depth of target the past two seasons. And that's why the Bills running backs averaged the league's ninth and fourth lowest target share the past two years. And then if you go to the goal line role, Moss out carries Singletary 11 to three inside the five yard line last year, but in those 14 games, they were together, but Allen actually had eight carries inside the five yard line. Cause we know he takes away carries. And so add to the, add that to that. They add Matt, Matt Breida. And I know Brian Dable, uh, we've talked to the right people. I know Brian Dable has said good things about Matt Breida and wants to give him a sprinkled in explosive role because Moss and Singletary are not explosive guys. They break tackles. That's what they do, but they're not fast. They don't make splash plays, which is what every backfield needs. And so Brita is going to have a role. It just tells me that we shouldn't be high on any of them. And so like the very beginning of Marcus Callaway and Traquan Smith, like Trey Sermon, Raheem Mostert right now, like the Jets backfield, I think it's bad practice to take a stand. Just let let someone fall to you in an ambiguous situation and just draft him. And, um, you know, majority of the time, I feel like we're going to come out right in those situations. And so I draft Singletary over Moss because I don't think either of them matter. Well, that brings us, you had transitioned us to the next one on the list. That's the Jets backfield. So it doesn't sound like you're in on Michael Carter there. I mean, they just have phased him out so much, especially like Tevin Coleman 
was absent for personal reasons the first game. And then he comes back week two of preseason and he plays 10 snaps behind Ty Johnson's 12 snaps, right? And so the fact that they continue sprinkling in Ty Johnson into a big role, like he's playing the pass catching role right now, which is what we thought at the very least Michael Carter would have. Whereas Carter didn't play at all in week two of the preseason. Uh, I just worry about his three down perception. And I was high on him. I was drafting him like, fourth, fifth round, two rounds earlier than ADP uh, in April and May. And I I genuinely think uh, I was wrong. And so I corrected in my rankings and now I'm adjusting moving forward because it doesn't seem like they're interested in him at any point as a three down option. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think he didn't play at all. Of course, you mean the first half of that game did play in the second half, but not with the first team at all. Yeah. I don't think this Jets coaching staff ever planned to, you know, have a three down true lead back. Um, you know, the Lafleur is from the Shanahan coaching tree. Shanahan, you know, prefers committee backfields. I think that was always the plan here. We've seen it in the first two preseason, preseason games, like you said, John, it was Ty Johnson and, and Michael Carter in game one splitting first team reps. It was Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman in game two. So I, I think that's what we're going to get. That kind of fits with Michael Carter is anyways. I mean, he, you know, he's a smaller guy. He was, he was never going to be a 20 touch guy as a pro. I don't think he'll, he'll ever be that. That's why I also like to make sure I correct myself throughout the process because sometimes it can blend in. Like even last month, I was struggling with blending in my best ball rankings and my redraft rankings when this year especially, it's two totally different formats. Like the players you would draft in best ball are so much wilder than redraft this year. And so um, I think what happened is that in March and April, because I've been drafting that long, a lot of us have in the industry, um, Michael Carter wasn't even like an NFL prospect, uh, despite scoring X amount of touchdowns behind Javante Williams in North Carolina, he was still going in like the, the 12th to 15th round. And so again, I love drafting in March and April pre-draft because you take shots on any rookie. You could even make a case for Tuto Atwell if you want as your eighth receiver and just hope he lands in earlier rounds and suddenly his ADP rises and you got the better value. And uh, that's what I was doing for Michael Carter. And then, so I probably baked that in thinking he had a three down roll and now seeing him in the preseason, I don't think that's the case at all. So even for redraft, I, I generally don't even know if I'm going to be trying to take him. I just think he's going to be someone on my radar, but like not reaching for him and just seeing where he falls. And if he's at the right spot, sure. Otherwise I, he's not someone that I think I'd mind ignoring at all. I agree with that. And I love drafting all year for all those reasons. Although now I'm looking back and seeing some uh, single digit round Kenny Gainwell. I don't feel so good about at this point in the year. Switching back to the passing games, we were going to talk about the Broncos and that one cleared up in between when we started the notes for the show and when we actually started recording, because now Vic Fangio tells us it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater as the starting quarterback. Uh, I already know how Jared feels about this. So John, how do you feel about this for the receivers in Denver? I actually love the move. Uh, I genuinely thought they rigged the system for Drew Locke. Uh, I was shocked when they said Teddy Bridgewater was a starter. But the fact is the Broncos have the league's easiest projected schedule of opposing pass defenses this year, and Drew Locke gets you nowhere. Um, we've seen six full games with Cortland Sutton. I know it's a small sample, but Cortland Sutton has finished one game inside the top 38 receivers in those six games with Drew Locke. We know that Jerry Judy earned all 112 targets last year. And I understand there were 12 drop 121. I think it was that number. I understand there were 12 drops mixed in, but like Deontay Johnson and T.Y. Hilton in his prime, we don't care about drops at all. That means they're getting open. And so we just chase those opportunities. And so just the fact that Judy was good enough as a rookie to separate and earn that role, I think the ceiling is higher than perceived. Just in having that easier schedule and now a quarterback who can complete passes, whereas Drew Locke, could not complete passes. 
Uh, it seems simple logic, but the fact that everyone struggled to get there and it took this long was worrisome. And so I'm actually, I'm quite high on Judy in particular. I think it helps him a ton. Uh, I don't need to go fighting for Cortland Sutton. I'm going to hope he gets healthy. I'm going to hope it works out and Bridgewater throws more. But historically, we know that Bridgewater just doesn't throw more. He, he's actually good when he throws deep. He has uh, his adjusted completion rate percentage on throws 20-plus yards downfield is over 50%, so it's more than a coin toss, but he just doesn't do that. He never has in Minnesota. He didn't in New Orleans. I don't. Ex- he didn't in Carolina. I don't expect him to this year, and so that's why I lean towards Judy in a vacuum over that bit uh, over Cortland Sutton in redraft. Yeah, you know, a week ago, I thought it was going to be Drew Locke. You know, if you, if you had I did too. me guess, I would have said it was me. I, I think Teddy just played so freaking well in that last preseason game they kind of had no choice but to go with him I'm, I'm happy with the move um especially for judy i'm, I'm with you there john I, I i mean judy's gonna be wide open he's that good of a route runner he's gonna be wide open and, and bridgewater is accurate he'll get him the ball and i i just think that's all judy needs to you know have a big big season it reminds me of uh devonta smith like uh judy in the preseason or there wasn't preseason last year but like judy was so good at separating and you noticed it the first couple games even this year in the preseason with devonta i know he only ran i think he played just 10 snaps in week two but uh if you watch his routes like he was dusting second string corners like they were five yards away from him because his route running was so good. And this reminds me of that, that he's going to get opportunities for sure. And let's just cross our fingers and hope the drops aren't there because it wouldn't have mattered with Locke. Like Locke is top five at through his career the last two years in deep rate throws 20 plus yards downfield, but he's bottom 35 in completion rate in 20 plus yards downfield because he throws deep, but he's not good throwing deep and he just doesn't correct himself. But that's the issue he's always had in Missouri. And when you have those issues in Missouri and then you transition to the NFL and you still have those issues, they don't correct themselves. It just shows you were wrong to draft him in the second round in the first place. They only owe him over a little million dollars. There's nothing to lose by just cutting him, let alone benching him. So I never understood why they felt tied to him in the first place except that like the Dave Gettleman thing where they want to feel like they're correct. And so they're just going to go down swinging with him. And so it, it was just always the wrong play to start him. So I'm very glad we got Bridgewater actually. Could have been Justin Fields instead of Patrick Sertan. That's where, see, that's where they messed up because if he was there and yet they knew they're going to go to Bridgewater, they must have a lot of confidence in Bridgewater or they thought they were getting Aaron Rodgers. One of those two. I or I mean, or the fact they didn't want to, you know, admit they made the mistake with Drew Locke, like you just said, John. They yeah. didn't want to you know, take a take a first round quarterback two years later or whatever. And I guess we'll see how many teams feel bad about passing on Justin Fields, but that's another discussion for another time at this point. Other passing games, we've talked about the Jets backfield, but Corey Davis has stood out in the preseason, if for nothing else than for target volume, 10 of 22 passes from uh, Zach Wilson so far, 45% target share. No Elijah Moore for those two games. He's back in practice, so we should get him back for this third preseason game. But, Jared, what about Corey Davis here? Yeah, I, I, I just want to note this. Um, I, I don't know if you guys follow uh, 32 Beat Writers. You know, they're like one of the, the best Twitter followers this time of year. But they, they posted something this afternoon. That it was like, you know, who's your guy at each position? And the, the leading vote getter at wide receiver was Corey Davis which is hilarious to me because a month ago, no one wanted to draft this guy. You can get him in round like 14. And now he's like everyone's guy just because of what we've seen in the preseason. So I, it's possible I'm going to be priced out on Corey Davis now, um, which is okay. Cause I've, I've been drafting him a ton. I have a ton of shares. You know, I, he, I mean, former number five overall pick, he's still in his mid twenties. He was very efficient last year. He was fifth in yards per route run. Just give him a big contract. Like I, I always, you know, thought he was going to be, 
their number one wide receiver. Now I think it's a toss up between him and Elijah Moore, but yeah, I, I like Davis. I think he's like a, you know, nice wide receiver for, I don't know where he's going in drafts right now. You know, if he's like was, a seventh, eighth rounder, I'm probably going to have to be out. I was going to say, has he climbed much this week? Cause I've backed off drafting this week a little bit. Um, you know, John. So I, I'm in a slow draft main event right now. So for those that don't know, a uh, $1,900 entry for Vegas with four fours, Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan. And we were just at the seventh, eighth turn at the 112 spot or seven twelve spot. And Davis is going there because that was where we almost had to take him. It came down to Jalen Waddle, Corey Davis, a couple others in the range, Michael Gallup, Marvin Jones, like that, that range right there is basically where he's going because we knew if we didn't take him there and we didn't take him, we went with Jalen Waddle instead. That was a Connor ruling. We had a big text thread argument about it. You can go to four, four and read about it. Uh, I basically almost defriended him because I don't believe in that pick. Who did you want? I wanted to go AJ Dillon. I thought because there were uh, 10 receivers went before us. And so again, I, I just go whatever the room gives me and I hope it's right. I don't, I don't care about my own player opinions to an extent. And so the mm-hmm. fact that everyone took receiver ahead of us, I was just like, okay, let's just go with AJ Dillon here. And then maybe we get to flex them if Aaron Jones is injured. They weren't having that. So we went Jalen Waddle, whatever. Don't care. It, my, my argument is that Jalen Waddle is Michael Hardman. He is Marquise Brown. He is Corey Davis. They're all the same guys. So why would you reach for one of them? Just wait and see which one comes back. There's a great chance Rondell Moore finishes ahead of all of them. So like, why would I reach for somebody when I can just get someone later? That's my argument. Anyways, though, that's the range he's going in into the seventh round. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with them there, even though it is noteworthy. Everyone says the 10 targets on 13 routes from the preseason. That's impressive, by the way. That is actually catches my attention. 10 targets on 23 first-team snaps. I think it's also important to note that every other receiver on the team that has worked with Zach Wilson has just one target. No one has eclipsed one target. And here is Corey Davis with 10 targets. Tyler Croft is second in target share from Zach Wilson in the preseason. So the fact that he's not looking anywhere else and he's only looking at Corey Davis – yeah, that's uh, it's pretty significant, honestly. Well, well, to me, that's just another reason to love Elijah Moore. Like, a healthy yes. Elijah Moore is going to be the second option in that passing game. It, you know, if not again, I think it's going to be a one A, one B situation with Moore and Davis. I, th- I think it's a coin flip who leads that team in targets. I agree, and I still would you draft uh, Elijah Moore over Corey Davis in redraft? They're right next to each other in our rankings. Yes. Um, I I lean more, and there's probably no there's no reason other than I just feel like he has the higher ceiling as the rookie that you know we haven't seen yet um it sure sounds like he was the best player in spring and summer when he was healthy so i if it made me pick it'd be elijah moore but you know if we're talking multiple best ball drafts i'm definitely you know going to pretty much split it 50 50 between those two wasn't Corey davis missing some of that time with injury too though i think he missed time in the spring right yeah um and more returned to practice on tuesday and like the moment he came back Connor Hughes, Rich Kamini, they they all just immediately tweeted about Moore making like a big 50-yard grab. Like that's he just shows up and makes plays. And so I still think the correct move is drafting Moore over Corey Davis, but also you know your home leagues, those listening better than we do. And the fact is, like, probably Moore's gonna go well behind Corey Davis. So just wait and like take that value, in my opinion. And really, they're probably both gonna go a little bit later than that seven, yes. eight turn that you're talking about. I mean, even in our current ADP from FFPC main events, they're both in the middle of round nine. So if they're climbing from there, you can expect to find them in round nine, maybe round ten. Uh, so there could be value on both of them. And at that point, if you're picking two reserve wideouts, take both from the same team and see what happens between them in terms of who gets the targets. Terrace Marshall is the next wideout on our list. John, what do you think about what we've seen from him so far through two preseason games? Oh baby. 
<laughs> Robbie Anderson's extension actually like kind of drowned out the happiness because that means like he has a very clear role. We know they're going to extend DJ Moore. He's still extremely young and uber talented. Um, DJ Moore actually has the six most receiving yards of any player combined over the past two seasons. Um, it's the touchdowns. That's why he hasn't finished higher than 15th in fantasy points per game because he doesn't score touchdowns. Maybe that's a role thing like Jacoby Myers with the Patriots where they just take him off the field in the red zone, even though the Panthers, as we know, struggled in the red zone immensely last year. So I still have faith for at least one more year that DJ Moore can spike double-digit touchdowns. But it kind of like made us less excited about Marshall. Having said that, how they're using him in the preseason right now, um, not only has played – 60% of his routes from the slot, thus being used outside as well, just like he did in college. Uh, he played 74% of his routes from the boundary in 2019 and then under Joe Brady, that historic offense, and then was moved into the boundary for 73% of his routes in 2020 to get him more targets before he got injured after his fifth game, I believe it was. But also, he's played 28 snaps in the preseason so far, and he hasn't blocked once. He's ran around on all 28 snaps. When they put him on the field, they let him play. And I genuinely think he's basically their sub for Irv Smith. Or I'm sorry, not Irv Smith, um, Ian Thomas. Ian Thomas finished ninth in routes run among tight ends last year, which is a crazy number considering he was just getting that rich rebar cardio. He wasn't doing anything. He was just running routes. And now they have a bigger, more prolific first-round talent in Terrace Marshall. He didn't go in the first round, but that's where he got the grade from before his medical red flags. And so I think he takes Ian Thompson's role from the slot and as a red zone monster who could actually lead the league in, or lead the Panthers in touchdowns, honestly. So uh, I'm quite high, even in redraft on Terrace Marshall, honestly. I think he can carve out a little 50-yard touchdown per week role for himself as a flex option. Yeah, man. A year from now, we could be talking about this Panthers wide receiver trio was like you know one of the top five trios in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers and not Sam Darnold too. It's gonna oh, be great. Man, that would, that would be sweet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Terrace Marshall to me, like I don't know if anyone just based on the eye test has like exceeded my expectations more of this preseason than Terrace Marshall. He, he just looks like ready to make an immediate mm -hmm. impact, and there's room for him. I mean, you know, Curtis Samuel had 97 targets last year. You now Marshall could soak up a lot of that, and and more. And Anderson still, you know, maintain their target shares for last season. So yeah, Mar Marshall's a guy, he's a guy I want to take late. He is climbing. I mean, I I'm seeing him going like the 10th, 11th round in some of these drafts, which is, you know, a little rich for me, but he's definitely a guy I want to get some pieces up here. Again, though, that's why I'm excited about home, get back into yeah. home leagues because uh, no one takes guys like Terrace Marshall in home leagues yeah. that early. Uh, and I want all that value. Like we all forget. We've seen them this, we've seen them just exploit second string defenses this year, even when playing with Sam Darnold last week. Uh, but we forget that in 2019 in that offense, not to say he's Justin Jefferson. But like before he got injured, when he played those first five games, every step of the way, he actually had just one fewer catch, 21 to 20. First four games, I should say, 21 to 20 catches to Justin Jefferson. He hung with him the entire way before he got injured in 2019. He is that kind of talent. And so uh, the fact that it's translated to the preseason pretty much tells us it's going to translate into the regular season. It's just a matter of now carving out a role for him. But someone that talented in a Joe Brady scheme, I cannot imagine them not finding a way to use him. So with Terrace Marshall, with Robbie Anderson, with DJ Moore, with Christian McCaffrey back, I mean, should we be looking at Sam Darnold like Jared Goff from two, three years ago with the Rams where he's not exciting and you're going to draft him well into QB2 range, but he could easily finish QB12, QB11 this year? It is the Astromont meme. Uh, we've been looking. We've been here. 
all along. Uh, Darnold and the Panthers opened the season with the Jets, Saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, and Vikings. Uh, not only have I been drafting Darnold as a standalone QB two punt option in best ball, like just two QBs, even if that one QB is Trey Lance, the Niners bye week is in week six. Thus, we I just read you the Panthers' schedule through week six. Soft. You can start Donald, in my opinion, every game until Trey Lance hopefully starts in week seven is what I'm assuming right now since apparently Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the week one starter. But just in general, in redraft, we know that you only have to draft one quarterback anyways and play matchups. That's Darnold. Also, you can draft Trey Lance for the top 10 upside, the rushing floor, and then still add Darnold in uh, the last round because they played the Jets week one, like I said. And that total right now, I think, is 46. Uh, I'm projecting it to close at 48 to 50 points. The Jets team total is 19 points. I'm projecting it to close higher, closer to three touchdowns because it's a bad number. Uh, neither team has a defense. They're going to just shoot and score and just try to outpoint one another. And so um, I'm I'm confident starting Darnold week one. I'm confident drafting him as my redraft starter and looking to replace him later on with a rushing quarterback like Justin Fields or Trey Lance. So yeah, I'm I'm extremely confident in Darnold. I've also have bets on the Panthers finishing second in the NFC South, which are like good plus odds because the Panthers' schedule is also really easy. If Joe Brady can get a career high in passing yards out of Teddy Bridgewater last year against what was the league's toughest passing schedule in 2020, I'm betting they can make noise this year with Sam Darnold against an easier schedule. Teddy Bridgewater finished quarterback 18 last year against that mm -hmm. tough schedule. Um, with the red zone woes too. Like they were they were piss poor in the red zone. And uh yeah, yeah and still he was that good. Yeah, no Christian McCaffrey and Terrace Marshall could prove to be an upgrade on Curtis Samuel like mm -hmm. right away. So I mean, there, I, and you could you could argue that Sam Darnold might be better than Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, we haven't seen it yet, but you can I think you can blame that on Adam Gase. We, so. We've all been doing this a long time, and so uh, I know Sam Darnold didn't grade good in prospect models because um turnovers are are sticky and turnovers. He was a turnover machine at USC. Um, but I, and I also know he doesn't have much rushing upside. He showed, he flashed some his rookie year. He also had that big run in an Island game on Thursday night against the Broncos last year when he returned healthy, but he, you really don't depend on him for a rushing floor. Having said that, We've done this long enough to know that quarterbacks matchups can like increase their floors. Uh, they make quarterbacks excel. And just the schedule alone, what I read in the first six weeks, the first third of the schedule, let alone all season long, I really think is going to put perceptions to the mind of others that like Darnold's a good quarterback. And again, as good as he is this year, no matter what, the Panthers are going to flip him because they have the picks and they have the money. And they're going for Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers next offseason. And so, like, for Darnold to be good, that only benefits them because then they can flip him. Now, you talked about Trey Lance a minute ago, and I heard you make the Trey Lance case on your show as well. Are you taking Trey Lance ahead of Justin Fields right now? I am. And maybe, maybe Jared, you can tell me if you have an opinion on this because I don't know. Uh, I, I know that Lance has played nearly 70 first-team snaps in the preseason, and he only has one carry. But I, I'm not putting any weight into that in either direction. I, I don't know if that matters and I could be wrong. I still think just from what we know and averaging over 10 carries per game at North Dakota state in his lone year as a starter, he has a rushing floor and he's just surrounded by immense talent. Um, also the Bears' schedule is one of the tougher ones of the entire year. It's nightmarish. And so 
Well, everyone just takes into account the rushing floor of these two players and says, well, Fields is running more, thus he's closer to Lance than we think. I actually think the schedule matters because the Niners have the easiest schedule far and away overall. The Broncos have the easiest passing schedule. The Niners have the easiest everything schedule. If you look at Warren Sharp's projected tool, which is usually right. I've used it the last four years for my studies in the offseason. It's been immensely helpful in my projecting. It's the Niners team logo and then like the second team. It's like way down here. It's one of those things that it's lopsided. So I still favor Lance by more than a few rounds, honestly, even though right now shark consensus. So I could be wrong, but like there are a lot of shark people who have them closer than I have them. Yeah. I, I'm not reading into the, you know, one carry in the preseason thing for, for Trey Lance. If you you know read the practice reports out of San Francisco, he's doing a ton of design run stuff, read option stuff in practice. I, I think they're, you know, one, they probably don't want to show that in preseason and two, they, they probably want him to get passing reps you know, in the preseason considering how inexperienced, Trey Lance is so yeah I'm I'm with you John um, I, I prefer Lance although it's it's close for me to me it just comes down to like who do you think is gonna get on the field first and I, I still don't know I still think both guys have a chance to be under center for week one I still think they'll both be in there by October at the latest but um, I, I don't really have a strong lean for well for whether field apparently when they first. asked him earlier uh Jimmy Garoppolo like smiled and <laughs> said uh hell yeah I have a pretty good idea who's starting week one and we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is whine anytime he's in pull out of the game. So like, he's just someone who wears his emotions on his shoulder. And so I assume that means he's going to start. Also, there's a report. He called Drew Brees and asked, like, how did this work with Taysom Hill in a dual situation? And yeah. so I, I generally think this is a report from like after the draft too, that Lance is initially going to be used in a Taysom Hill like role. I think that's what we're going to do. I think they're going to throw him in inside the 20 and um, that's going to be a much bigger threat than Garoppolo. I guess we'll see where that goes. To me, the easy schedule for the Niners makes it tougher. And by the way, I put the the sharp football rankings up there on the screen in the share if you're watching the stream. To me, that easy schedule for the Niners makes it tougher for Trey Lance to break in unless they just have the the kind of plan where we're going to put him in at some point, regardless of how things are going. You know, the Eli Manning switch, the Tua switch last year, where they're going to go to the rookie even if they're winning. But for most teams, if the team is five and one at that buy, it's going to be tough to switch yeah. to the rookie quarterback and sell to the fans that they're playing for the future while also playing for now. Whereas for Chicago, I could easily see them getting beat up two of those first three games going on the road to the Rams and the Browns. And then by week four saying, all right, it's time to switch to this new guy, because if I'm Matt Nagy, my butt's getting hot. I'm on a, a pretty fiery seat at that moment. I'm in a rookie starting pool for money. And uh, I actually picked week three as well for Justin Fields because it's one of those things where we knew all along, Nagy's a stubborn man. Of course, he's going to start Andy Dalton. Um, they start him. I have in my head that he's benched by the first half because he's that bad. Uh, Aaron <laughs> Donald's going to take his soul. He's going to crush him. And so they put in Justin Fields. Justin Fields moves the ball, but Nagy, again, being a stubborn and bad coach, says, uh, yeah, but like these things happen. Don't worry about it. Andy Dalton's our week two starter. We have confidence in him. And then the same thing happens because it's Andy Dalton. He gets benched again, and they have no choice but to go to Justin Fields in week three. That's the way I have it in my head right now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed here for early Justin Fields at least. And I certainly have nothing against Trey Lance. The last guy on our list for tonight was the Monday night darling from a game where everybody else got hurt. Marquez Calloway had a big night with Jameis Winston. John, is Marquez Calloway somebody that you're moving up the board with or you're like, uh, time has passed on taking shares of Marquez Calloway? It hasn't passed yet. Uh, I'm definitely moving up my board. I've, I've had a lot of confidence in him. He shined a couple games last year when given over 50% of the team snaps. Unfortunately, he wasn't healthy for all those games, but he did spike one over 100 
But more importantly, this year, he has just nine targets. He's only run 23 routes, and yet he leads the league in preseason receiving yards. He's just been awesome. He's spiked 20 yards a catch so far this preseason. And this, my whole takeaway, it's more of a, a big picture outlook. Like I talked about earlier, when this Michael Thomas injury came down, everyone rushed to Trick on Smith, and I was it's on tape at a good football show saying ambiguous situations. We don't rush. We just take whatever's given to us. Um, do not overdraft Traquan Smith. Just let Callaway fall to you because we know he's the number two. And it actually helps that uh, Deontay Harris still pending two game suspension from a, a potential DUI earlier in this offseason. And Marcus Callaway would fill in as the punt returner, which Deontay Harris is right now for two games as well. So, Callaway's roster spot was always safe. And just the fact that he's been awesome. He's looked so awesome. And the preseason tells me anyways, yeah, I think he's a better player than Traquan Smith, who has yet to hit at any level in the NFL when given the opportunity, despite being an uber athlete, which is what I think keeps overshadowing the fact that he hasn't been good. It's a lot like Miko Hardman, honestly. Like everyone talks about Miko Hardman having an opportunity this year. Miko Hardman had an opportunity last year. Like he started for Sammy Watkins seven games. And it never mattered because he's still learning the position. He like doesn't know how to play NFL wide receiver yet. So just the fact that Michael Horman starting this year doesn't tell me anything. You just have to say, I'm either taking a chance he learned to play or he still hasn't learned to play and he's going to continue averaging two and a half targets in those starts. That's it. Just rephrase it differently. Um, Callaway has been very good. And so thus I have booed him on my board so much so that I'm confident taking him in like the 12th or 14th round in your redraft league. If it comes down to him or Trey on Smith. I'm taking Callaway over Smith every time. Well, let me put this to you because it came up on our show last week with Dwayne McFarland. It's round 13. You are choosing between Marquez Callaway and Rondell Moore. Which guy are you taking? Uh, Rondell Moore. Yes. But still, yeah. still very, very biased on Rondell Moore. Um, everyone just looks at him and sees 5'7, five, 5'8 five, dude. Uh, whereas I see a player who was the best player on the field in 2018 anytime he stepped on a collegiate grass. Uh, a guy who still squats 650 pounds right now. He's going to be more athletic than any cornerback he faces in the NFL. And the fact that he's just the perfect fit. Like we knew he was the perfect fit that he 78% of his collegiate receiving yards were caught within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage and Cliff Kingsbury's horizontal rate. It was always going to mesh, but how they've used him in the preseason, nine targets and three carries all with an A dot of five or lower. Um, they're literally using like he was used excelled in college. And that gets me excited because he's going to play from the slot. 44 of his 47 first team snaps have come from the slot this year, or I shouldn't say first team. Let's just say his the snaps he's played have come from the slot. And we know now that Larry Fitzgerald isn't coming back. So uh, he's going to be on the field more will be every single snap. And AJ Green is a player I am prefer to bet against rather than for. So I think more there's a terrific chance if he doesn't lead in targets, uh, he leads in touches at least. Wait, leads leads who in touches exactly? The Cardinals in touches. There is a terrific chance that he has <laughs> 30 fewer targets than DeAndre Hopkins, but he has that many carries like a Debo Samuel. See, okay, so first of all, you got this wrong because I only asked you this because I thought we were trending toward you saying <laughs> Callaway. Otherwise, I would have skipped this question altogether. But – I think I think putting him thirty tar- within thirty targets of DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know. I, I can't see him getting to that with I, DeAndre Hopkins getting. I'm assuming one fifty. So that would be one twenty for Rondale Moore. Is that does that sound like fair numbers to you? So 
what makes me so comp that's fair number. Uh, that's a more reasonable number than the projections I'm giving him. Again, don't listen to my projection. Um, he's going in that range. So you don't need to reach for him. Right. Uh, there are two things working here. The fact that again, I'm betting against AJ green at his yeah. age and Christian Kirk, who has been used, albeit incorrectly his entire uh, career under Cliff Kingsbury, but also he's just a deep threat. They're using him as a pop shot guy, throw downfield. That's it. Not he was at Texas AM. He, he was used strictly underneath. Also the fact that again, I listened to a uh, FF contrarian, the great Sean Siegel, the inventor of zero running back initially in 2013. And he mentioned in a main event draft that uh, he couldn't believe people weren't taking Rondell Moore in the fifth round. And then Overzet and the crew laughed at him saying, no, they're like, Moore's going like the like the ninth or 10th round. And he's like, is anyone paying attention? Uh, that's how good Rondell Moore is. So I have I have a lot of confidence in Rondell Moore. I mean, it makes me queasy how many of you guys that I believe <laughs> in are so high on Rondell Moore. It's just a volume issue for me. I don't see how he gets past 100 targets. And I think 100 would be a, a rosy picture for just the situation that he's in. I don't, I, I'm, I'm with betting against AJ green performance wise. I'm with betting against Christian Kirk, but all those guys are there. They paid AJ green. Deandre Hopkins is still a target hog. They're still probably not going to throw 60% of the time. I don't know. It's tough for me to get Rondale Moore past 90 targets. And then with that in mind, it's tough for me to see his path into my lineup where he's, he's doing a whole lot for me. I, the player is exciting and I have nothing against him. And for, I've, I'm not going to be mad if I if I'm wrong and he's better than I expect this year, but I don't know. It's just tough for me to to see that path. I, I see him walking into the woods, and I'm not sure where he's going. And and that's that's like I said, reasonable, totally fair. He's not like Gabriel Davis, right? Where like we know his role as the team's fourth receiver, and yet if you draft him, you're banking on efficiency. Like there is a route, unlike Gabriel Davis, it takes injury. Uh, there is a route for more to to get to that number two receiver role with ease. Um, you can go back to April and I'm on tape saying I actually worry more about Rondell Moore for Chase Edmonds than I do James Conner. Like Rondell Moore is a threat underneath to take all of the running back targets. Mm -hmm. So no matter how you want to perceive him, even if you say I'm not going to draft Rondell Moore, just be aware that he is lurking underneath mm -hmm. and like he's soaking up from somebody. I've I, I've said and written enough about Rondell Moore over the past few months. Can, can I can I give a take on Callaway before we get out of here? Yep, please. <laughs> I think I'm probably out on Callaway, at least in like these higher stakes leagues, maybe in home leagues. Like you know, John mentioned 12th, 14th round. Like I, I take him there. He went ninth round in the under, underdog draft I did today. I'm, I'm going to be out at that price. And, and you know, he's looked awesome this preseason, obviously. He's looked awesome in training camp from, you know, according to multiple beat writers. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit of the Corey Davis thing where Traquan Smith has been out this whole time. So, I mean, when, when Smith gets healthy, I think he's uh, – He's at least going to eat into Callaway's workload. I, I agree that Callaway looks like the better fantasy bet than Smith at this point. Um, but I don't think Callaway is going to be this, you know, dominant target hog, you know, as long as Traquan Smith's healthy. And then Michael Thomas is going to be back at some point. And like when that happens, is Callaway even a fantasy starter? I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. How are y'all handling for you here, Michael Thomas for redraft? Um, best ball, I think it's easy because, you know, you're drafting nine or ten receivers likely anyways, so you can hide them. Um, but for redraft, like we all have the Tony Pollard's, the Alexander Madison's, the guy who like clog our rosters. And you can only have so many of those before your rosters is literally your bench before it's literally useless. And uh, Michael Thomas is someone who if he's out six games. Their bye week is 
week seven so or week six. So he wouldn't return until week eight, um, Monday night at home, and it's against the Bucks anyways. And then if you have him, you have to make the decision, oh, is he fully healthy? Like a Keenan Allen like last year. He said, yeah, I'm healthy, and he showed up, and he was not healthy at all. And so it just creates, honestly, more headaches than you would want in drafting him. But it's still Michael Thomas. If he shows up and he's Michael Thomas, suddenly – like that's a league winning guy at the back of your bench. You've held on for eight weeks. So I'm just curious how you're handling him. I'm more willing to take Michael Thomas than I am Tony Pollard or Alexander Madison, because I know that once he gets in the lineup, I, I know what I'm getting. The question is, does he get back into the lineup? I have to expect that he's going to miss half the season. And if he gets back before that, then great. I don't think that I've been the Michael Thomas drafter. I think where I would take him is if I already have either three very good receivers or four receivers that I like. And then he's still there in like round nine, round 10, and I can stash him as a fifth. I'll take him there. What about you, Jared? I I can honestly say since the Thomas surgery news, I haven't even considered taking him in a draft. He just hasn't gotten to a spot in a draft where I'd consider him. I I'd take both Jets wide receivers over Michael Thomas. I'm taking uh, Darnell Mooney over Michael Thomas. I'm taking Marvin Jones over Michael Thomas. So I don't know. I I don't want to you know be, sitting on a guy doing nothing for me for the first half of the season. And even when he gets back, like, is he healthy? What does this offense look like with Jameis? Or is it Taysom at that point? Like, There's just too many questions for me. I don't want to deal with Michael Thomas. What about you, John? Yeah, I find myself taking him if he's around in redraft in my wide receiver five, depending on my build. I don't mind that. But again, when you take him, one, you have to understand you can't drop him. You took him literally not right. to drop him at any point. Uh, unless he's ruled out for the year. And then also you probably still need to add two or three more wide receivers after you take them. So your, your job isn't done at that position just yet either. Uh, You probably want to end up, let's say you start three receivers and have one flex or two receivers and two flex. You still want to end up with seven or eight receivers in a redraft team, a 20 round redraft team. So uh, yeah, it just, it's a lot of work. That's how I treat him. But again, you have to understand that you can't drop him. He, you have to treat him like Nick Chubb is rookie year where Carlos Hyde can get 25 carries. It doesn't matter because you're hoping for something to happen. And so uh, that's kind of what you're hoping for for Michael Thomas. Yeah. The better things go for me early in the draft at receiver, the more interested I am. Let's hit one wide receiver question before we head out of here, because somebody has been waiting in, in uh, YouTube. <laughs> Wesley L says, any thoughts on Chris Godwin versus Tyler Lockett versus Cooper Cup? in half PPR. John, how would you order those guys in a half PPR league? It is Lockett, Cup, Godwin. Lockett and Cup are very close. If someone said Cup over Lockett, I would understand. But the way I've been treating Lockett, just the fact that he scored only six fewer fantasy points than DK Metcalf as a whole last year, he's getting knocked down incredulously all because he had a bad second half of the season. When all you have to do is say, hey, what if he doesn't have a bad second half of the season? It's not like there's some, the 11th commandment is Tyler Lockett shall suck the weeks eight through 17. It doesn't work like that. And so um, I am banking again on Tyler Lockett. I don't know if I believe genuinely all the hype on the faster, much more efficient Shane Waldron offense, but there's enough there to uh, at least make me more confident and believing in Lockett as a mid-range, like a top-tier mid-range receiver. I mean, Lockett's already been a top-16 wide receiver in three straight seasons, so you don't even yeah. need to believe in the Waldron stuff. Like, if everything just stays the same, Lockett's a value where he's going. Um, yeah, th- those three guys are all in the same tier for me, so I, I think you can argue them in any order. Um, I go Cup, Lockett, Godwin. Um, kind of got- Godwin, to me, um, is the clear three. I just think he there, – there's the 
biggest chance he just disappoints from like a volume perspective, I guess, just because of all those weapons in Tampa. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Lockett and Cup, I could put in either order. If I'm choosing between them, I'm not taking the same guy every time, but it's both of those guys pretty easily ahead of Godwin. Well, you can find his content on NBC Sports Edge and their various multimedia channels. You can follow him on Twitter at NotJDaigle, but he is John Daigle. Thanks very much for joining us tonight, John. The worst Twitter handle, but uh, it's existed since 2011. And until I get to pay out the person who has Daigle, it's not changing. So uh, at NotJDaigle. Or you could go the Scott Van Pelt route and say not the fake Jay Daigle, maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll do that. We still got to get verified, but we've got a long way to go. But yeah. As long learn. as all those pro athletes are on Twitter, you can be, you can be sure that you don't have the worst handle out there. Correct. And then also, if you are uh, in the redraft streets, you just go to NBCSportsEdge.com. Our draft guide is on the homepage. I just updated the tiers. Also for free, my best ball tiers, if you're still in the underdog streets, are right there for a CV or CSV you can download and put into your rankings. It's all there at the worst Twitter handle, at Najee Daigle. <laughs> and if you're watching this, you've got to be in the streets, I'm assuming, because that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. See how we project all these players in every situation that we've discussed tonight. Become a DS Insider. Set up your draft war room. Get it all customized to fit your league. You can also check the description for this podcast wherever you're consuming it. Join the free Draft Sharks Discord. Discuss all this stuff with us. For our guest, John Daigle, as well as Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaff saying thanks so much for swimming with us.